From Relay FM, this is Download, episode number 58, recorded Thursday, June the 7th, 2018. Focus on our most profitable children. Welcome back to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined in person this week by two wonderful guests. Managing editor of iMore, Serenity Caldwell, is back on Download. Hello. Hello. It's nice to actually be sitting in the same room with you. It's a special treat to do podcasting in person. And across the table from me, that's sort of something you say in Clockwise, which is not a show I host anymore. First time Download guest. A developer of Overcast, host of Accidental Tech Podcast, Marco Arment. Hi, Marco. Hi, great to be here. I'm looking forward to you and I agreeing on things in this episode. <laughs> pretty much all we do. That's why we're not allowed to be on podcast together. And of course, to my left, sitting here, not saying anything yet, but he's about to, Stephen Hackett, producer of Download. Am I on your left or are you on my right? Hmm. Can't it be both? <laughs> Maybe. All right. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We are in San Jose, California for Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference this week. And so we're going to talk about that a bit before maybe throwing in some other news at the end. Um, as usual, iOS, a big topic at this show. iOS 12 isn't necessarily as big a release as past years. Apple said it's focused on performance in the update, especially for users of older iPhones. This is a really interesting one. I mean, we've all speculated about how Apple tests its products. I always made the assumption that people who work at Apple get the latest and greatest hardware and that maybe that's, you know, it's not nefarious. There's it just they don't necessarily test on an iPhone 6 cuz they don't use those anymore and they seem to have made that commitment that they're actually going to care whether old phones um, work and are not super miserably slow. Marco, good good move. Do you believe them? Are you hopeful that the old phones are going to not be as terrible now? I hope so. I mean, I, I think time will tell. This is one of those wonderful initiatives that for this version, it's great that they did this. What they really ultimately need to do is have more of a focus on old device performance with every new version of iOS that comes. So I hope this is the beginning of a good pattern of this because, you know, even when they make the old devices, you know, if they can improve performance on the old devices, it helps things like upgrade rates. It helps people have, you know, better usability and long-term satisfaction of their purchases that were very expensive at one time. Um, and ultimately, I think... You know, what they're saying is they're focusing on performance, and that made it faster on all devices, old and new, and that means better battery life, better interaction, and everything. So this is this is kind of something that I hope they just always care a lot about, and that performance, you know, ma- like maintaining performance while adding new things to the OS is not an easy thing, but it's a possible thing. And so if th- the more priority that has now, I think the better for everybody with old and new stuff. Yeah. Honestly, I think one of the main reasons why this happened, at least my my headcanon for it, is that in testing ARKit, they needed, obviously, to make sure that ARKit worked on all of the devices. So my personal pet theory is, oh, wow, we noticed, you know, if you're trying to use an AR on on an iPhone 5S, uh, you just... It just dies. It just doesn't happen. Uh, and in doing that, they're saying, okay, well, what's wrong with that? Okay, let's pull at this string. Let's pull at this string. And then all of a sudden, they did massive performance gains. It's probably not true. But that's what I like to pretend is that it's it's something, you know, I, I really do think that as Apple goes into more thorough and – or not even thorough, but like more uh, experimental technology and as they're trying to continue to keep that – 
device upgrade cycle long um, and and support people for more than two years of phone updates, uh, they they are going to need to start to continue evolving their technology a little bit more. And that's hopefully going to mean focusing on battery, focusing on performance. I think it's interesting that it comes the same year that they had to deal with the uh, the battery issue mm. on older phones, starting you know batteries degrade and they had made some decisions about limiting performance over the phone shutting off. And uh, I think those two things are probably related at some level that now that there's been a lot of discussion on how older iPhones operate. And, you know, they took a lot of heat for that because people always said with no evidence, but my phone slows down with age. And it turns out, actually, yeah, that's kind of true. And if they can continue to speak to those customers or customers who will have older phones at some point and not only say, hey, we're going to take care of your battery, but... Uh, you know, this idea that our software makes your old phone slow. They're trying to disprove that over and over. And I think it's great. I think there are a ton of people, as these phones get better, these phones last longer. People hold on to them. And that's a a, a cynical take would be, well, Apple makes their software be slow on older phones, so you buy a new phone. And this is a firm stance against that sort of thinking. And uh, I think it's great. I think they should take care of their customer like us who buy new phones every year and they should take care of the customer that buys a phone every four years. There's something about setting, setting the bar too, that I, I, it is true that making a phone faster, um, optimizing on performance benefits the brand new phones too. The difference is what phone do you look at and say, okay, that's unacceptable performance. And I feel like they were probably looking at, you know, last year's model instead, like the iPhone 10 or the iPhone eight, um, to, to use an example, but it seems like this year they are looking at the iPhone 6 and saying if this this needs to run acceptably fast. And that's good because people use their phone. People don't get a new phone every year. Most people don't get, maybe people who listen to podcasts like this, but most people don't. Yeah. Well, and I also think as Apple expands into more territories like India and China and all of that, you're looking in, in completely different buying markets, right? Uh, where people maybe don't have the money to spend on an iPhone every two or three years. They really have to make the most out of their device for five or six. Um, as that becomes a bigger share of Apple's profits, they really do need to focus more on that from and the business in a, side. in a lot of those markets, the phones that they're selling aren't this year's model to begin with. Yes. They're selling one of those phones that's three years old but is much cheaper as a result. Mm -hmm. But that means, you know, what's the performance on that with the new OS? And and that's one of the reasons also that they can't cut, be so aggressive at cutting upgrades because they've got those phones out there. Yeah. Marco's looking at our microphone, Stephen. No, I'm watching it slowly drift down as the the clip is a little loose. (laughs) I feel judged. I feel judged. Um, Let's talk about screen time. Another feature in iOS 12. The idea... That this goes, these goes, these go hand in hand. There, are, I've definitely heard people say, "Oh, come on, what phone makers want is you to buy a new phone every year and use it as much as possible." And I feel like you know, smartphones are we're all going to have them. I, I don't think they need to be afraid that if they teach you to use your phone a little bit less, you're suddenly going to stop buying a smartphone or using a smartphone. That seems a little bit ridiculous, but there does seem to be, be pressure on uh, Apple and Google to. Um, under, help their users understand how they use these devices and put some limits. If you want to use your phone a little bit less, give you tools to do that. Um, are these features features that you're going to take advantage of, Serenity? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm, I already am. I haven't gotten weekly updates yet on my 
beta, but I have been looking at the various apps I spend time in. How's that going for you? Oh, spoiler. It's Twitter and Slack. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Surprising sounds, nobody. Sounds about Surprising right. Surprising nobody. Mm-hmm. Actually, Instagram's pretty high up there too, um, and uh, and the TV app because I was watching a lot of The Expanse last night. But uh, overall, I I think that these are really good features. I mean, I said it last night on on our live connect. Is it connected? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our live connected show. Um, I find it really interesting that they chose for an opt in rather than an opt out approach, where they really didn't. It's not super flashy in your face, like. This is what's important. Uh, you have to monitor your phone less. Clippy um, does not pop up yes. and say, you seem to be using Instagram a lot. Would you prefer <laughs> to shut this down? No, which is good. I mean, it really puts the onus on the person um, to decide if this is a feature that they want to use. Um, but I do think that it's a it's a good feature. And to the to the argument that, oh, you know, phone manufacturers just want you to, you know, use the phone all the time. I'm like, last I checked you don't have to pay for a subscription service every single day and you don't have to pay for a phone every single day unless you're on like a, you know, a graduated plan from AT&T or something. Um, once you sign up for that service, you're still giving them money, no matter if you use the phone one day out of 30 or 30 days out of 30. So really, they just want like they want you to be comfortable with your phone, because if you feel like you're using your phone too much, then you go into the kind of binge purge cycle that you see again in the dieting world, where it's like you go hardcore for two weeks and then you jump off the train and, you know, go eat a bunch of burgers and then you go hardcore for two weeks. And I think that's that's kind of the opposite effect. We don't want to get to the point where Apple and other these other companies, people look at their devices and say, oh, you know, we can't use our devices. We have to put them away in cabinets for two days. I'm on an iPhone cleanse right now. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) You know, you joke, but. Mark, are you going to look at these features? You're going to, you think you're going to try to use them? I think at some point I probably will. I mean, I've, I've gone through lots of different uh, approaches and apps and hacks during the years of doing things like trying to use Twitter less or trying to spend more time in, you know, longer blocks of work or things like that. And I'm not going to go all into time tracking because I'm a human being, but I do think there's a lot of value in just having an idea of what you're doing and making like broad sweeping adjustments, you know, so to know, yeah, you know, wow, it's kind of insightful that I spend four hours a week on Twitter or something. And it's like, what if I actually could spend four more hours a week in Xcode? How would that be better for me or, or different for me? Um, so just having the information there, I think, will help a lot of people do a lot of different things with whatever goals they're trying to achieve, whether they're small adjustments like that or whether they want to go you know, a little more strict and structured and have like the actual time limits. I, I think it'll be a really good system, and, I, and I, I will probably end up using at least part of it. I think knowing the stats is going to be more powerful even yeah. than the the uh, warnings. Just knowing I did I do what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be a big a big deal. Steven, you're going to use this stuff? Yeah, I think like like everyone else, I feel like I spend too much time on my device. Like we spoke about earlier this week, it, it's hard to quantify that without any real data, right? It's like oh, I want to use it less, but unless you know where you are today, that word kind of doesn't actually mean anything. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to the, some of the parental controls they've built in. You know, I've got kids with iPads and being able to see how they're using their devices and being able to manage that because we have iCloud family sharing set up. I think that's going to be a, a pretty good tool at home, too. So I'm looking forward to it coming out. Yeah. And uh, I'm honestly looking really forward to checking my notifications in screen time more often. That's a big setting that I don't think people are talking about as much, where it shows you how many notifications you're getting from an app a day. 
Uh, for instance, I found out that uh, messages, I had 93 notifications in the last six hours. And it's oh like, God. well, okay, that tells you something about what you're doing with your time and whether or not that's useful. And for some people it may be. And for others, you're like, oh, I have 160 Facebook notifications. Well, maybe I should tweak that a little bit. It's not just about spending time in the app or not spending time in the app. It's also your attention getting diverted from what you are doing. Because how many of us have been doing something on our phone and had something else pop up and then completely forget about the second task because there's a third task. <laughs> or you build a set of parentheses and then yeah. you find you're like right. five deep and you're like, now what was I doing before and what was I doing before that? Yeah, and then it's just yak shaving all the way down. The Yeah, I think you make a, a really good point that some of this is not – about us finding out the horror of how we use our phones. I'm glad that notifications is a part of this story, that Apple is making changes to notifications. The idea, I was joking about this a couple weeks ago, but the idea that you literally can get a notification in iOS 12 and basically go unsubscribe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see this anymore. That's so great because how much of our time, it's not about us wasting time on Twitter or Slack or, or Instagram. A lot of it is how many times we get pulled out of the real world and into our phone because of some push notification. And when we look, it's stupid. Mm -hmm. It's not important or it's less important. So that's a powerful change that they're making, too, is just being able to act on your notifications right there. I, I'm excited about that. Yeah. And snooze them. Snoozing is the exciting thing. I don't know if it's per app or if it's worldwide or it's just device-wide right now. Um, but it's something that before the keynote, I was actually, I used it because Slack has that built in, right? Where it's like snooze for two hours so you don't get any notifications while you're focused on things. But having the notification center in integrate like this do not disturb where it's just like until I leave this place or until I do this thing. Like it's it's a little change that it's, no, it's not flashy to put up on a screen. But I know like running the beta for the last three days, it has already made my life better. Like, it's so much nicer to not stress out about five different things going off when you just want to sit down and have lunch with somebody or sit on a podcast. Yes, especially that. Yeah. <laughs> should definitely snooze, do not disturb when you're on a podcast, I say. If you, people see people in real life, I thought it was all just podcast now. <laughs> all human contact is podcasting. It, it, well, we're not disproving that right now. Anyway. I'd be okay uh, with that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. We, uh, one more thing about iOS before we move on. We're going to talk about the Mac a little bit, too. Um, the iPad, this seems to be following the pattern, which is um, iPad advancement happens in um, fits. It happens sort of every other year, which as somebody who loves my iPad, I'm a little bit disappointed by that. Um, uh, what, do you, what do you think? If, if the iPad's the future of computing, is it, is it fair that the future only comes one step forward every two years? I think one of the problems we have with the future just coming in fits and starts is that in this case, I think the stuff they want to do with the iPad is very tied to the iPad's hardware. Uh, and, you know, if we're not going to get the right things in the iPad hardware, it may be hard for them to do some cool things in the iPad software. Uh, that said, I really would have liked to see more from the from the iPad. I mean, we've got those new swipe gesture, which is well, they're, they're making it into the iPhone 10, basically. Yeah, I'm. I which mean, is a, that's clearly a setup for new iPads so without. Yeah, exactly. The I know yeah. the the clock on the left side. Hmm, I wonder. wonder but no, the the swipe the swipe up to go back to the home screen instead of like you have to be really slow with your dock now if you're on the beta unless you want to immediately just jump your app away. That that's, takes a little bit of getting used to. I'm not sure if it's a really good like good change. If I was like, you know what? The, the iPad feature that I really, really wanted was a quicker way to go home. Not like file upload to the files app. Just quicker way to go home. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that that's what they did is they seem to have done exactly what they need to do to get uh, the new hardware that we all assume is coming in the fall enabled. So yeah. those yeah. are the changes we saw, but nothing else happened. I think part of that tension is that in many ways the iPad is still second fiddle to the iPhone. That they mm. do run the same OS. For lots of good reasons. Right, lots, right. I mean, everything's second fiddle. That. The iPhone is the biggest business Apple has, but... It feels like the the iPad is still even today living in the iPhone shadow in a way mm-hmm. that the Mac isn't. You know that the Mac feels like a separate thing, and then I, iPad is sort of tucked underneath the iPhone. And I think if it's really going to break free of that, uh, treating it separately from the iPhone in more ways, like we saw last year, you know, it got all this stuff that the iPhone isn't going to get. And I think that's the right way to really push it forward. And you know, every other year is kind of a bummer, but. I think if we keep seeing things like we saw on iOS 11, even if it's every two years, then it will still get there. Just the future is going to be a little further off for a mm-hmm. while. Yeah, ultimately, I think we're just continuing the same pattern we've seen for a while. You know, the iPad gets attention here and there, but not every year. Um, it still does benefit from most of the features that the iPhone gets. That's true. You know, all the features like that we were talking about, notifications and snoozing and activity and performance, like all that stuff is also coming to the iPad. So that's, that's not a small thing. Uh, but specifically changes to like the multitasking and windowing kind of model that seems to be pretty slow and, and a part of that I think is of course these priority realities uh, but I think also part of it is that I think all of us including Apple are still trying to figure out where the iPad sits in that world how much multitasking does it get how much what how complicated of like a window management system does it get uh, these are you know they're trying to keep the iPad substantially simpler than the Mac or PC type environments and but also trying trying to give it that level of productivity and usefulness it's a really hard balance and I think a lot of it they're just kind of just being very careful to very slowly evolve over time so they don't like ruin what makes it good yeah I think better better to go slow and focus on what counts than go too fast and end up you know in the early days of surface where you're like okay I have a touch screen for tiny interface uh, but it's worth—I mean—it's worth mentioning. There are some things that are—they're not exactly iPad-specific features, but there are things that they—it's clear they're trying to improve the workflow. Like the camera import in Photos is has changed dramatically, and you still can't import photos to the files. But the import widget is now like it's much more organized. You can see what you've already imported. You can blow up the picture to full screen. Like these are things that photographers have been asking for who work with iPad in the field. And if you know if if Apple has to focus on kind of like how they're they're focusing on the iMac Pro market, like if they have to focus on just the niche of users that are currently using iPad um, in the in between years rather than trying to make iPad the ultimate portable computer for everybody, I think that's that's not a bad place to start. You know, uh, there's there's a lot of potential for iPad in drawing. There's a lot of potential for iPad in the creative fields. Um, and it's n- not quite up to snuff with a Mac and other areas, but it kind of also doesn't need to be. So it's just, I, I think you're you're absolutely right, Marco. It's just about, they have to decide what is the most important factor for them at this, at this point in juncture in time. And hopefully next year we'll get more stuff. Please, God. Depending on what... Uh what Apple does with this, uh, some of the things it's doing on the Mac, that also may change how we view the iPad because the, there may be things that the iPad doesn't need to be either. Mm-hmm. Who knows? There's a lot. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to take a break and tell our listeners about our first sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by Timing, the automatic time tracking app for Mac OS. 
The uh, timing guys have gone all in. They're sponsoring all of the shows at WWDC. And hey, we just talked about screen time for iOS. I use timing on my Mac, which has provided me with some perspective, as they might say in uh, This is Spinal Tap, too much perspective about how I spend some <laughs> of my time on my Mac. Where did that hour go when I stared at the webpage? Uh, but so it is really good to know how we spend our time using our technology, how to get more productive, especially if you're sitting in front of a Mac. You're probably trying to do some work. Instead of making you start and stop timers, timing automatically tracks how much time you spend on each app, document, or website. shows you exactly when you were working on what, when you slacked off, and that may actually involve literally being in Slack. How productive you have been so you know how to improve your productivity. Work doesn't just happen at your Mac. Timings, timeline automatically makes suggestions for filling gaps in your timeline. That way you won't forget to enter a meeting. You'll come back from your meeting and it'll say, hey, let's log that meeting you were just at. I've definitely gotten perspectives about how I spend my time in my garage and when I'm productive and when I'm not by having timing installed on my iMac. And timing is so confident that they will help you as well and that you will love the fuss-free approach they take to time tracking. They offer you a free trial. It won't be a waste of your time. Download the free 14-day trial by going to timingapp.com slash download and save 10% when you purchase, stop guessing how you spend your time and focus on doing what you're good at. Thank you to Timing for supporting Download. All right, let's move on and talk about the Mac a little bit. Yes. Um, some changes in Mac OS, Mac OS Mojave. Um, biggest one, very clearly in terms of long-term ramifications of the platform, is this idea that there are four apps in Mac OS Mojave that are based on the iOS apps. Um, and in two cases, apps that weren't even on the iPad until now, because presumably part of this process led them to be on the iPad and the Mac. Mm -hmm. And that next year, iOS developers, developers of apps like Marco, who's sitting right across from me, could use these tools to make it easier to create Mac versions of their iOS apps. Um, There's a lot here. There's a lot we don't know. But at a first glance at this, Marco, what do you think of the possibilities for you and also what it means for the Mac to have kind of an influx of this other class of apps coming in to the platform. To me, it's very exciting, Uh, you know, both as a developer of an iOS app who doesn't really know Mac programming that well and as a Mac user uh, who's been kind of afraid in recent years that the Mac is being, you know, neglected or abandoned or considered like a legacy platform, to now see that that actually seems like it's not the case. That it actually seems now like they are putting a lot of effort in the Mac. It, that's that's a great thing, big picture wise. And some people take the opposite conclusion from this news. Some people are saying that this is an indication that Mac software is basically dead, and that they have to like use iOS software now on the Mac, and that eventually AppKit will die and everything. I don't think so. I, I think that this basically is, I think, a reaction by Apple not to things like you know ios being dominant but a reaction to things like electron and web apps Mm -hmm. and you know we all know as mac users that there have been a lot of big apps and services and things that make native apps for lots of different platforms that are all mobile platforms and then when it comes time to pc platforms they're like ah just use the website oh yeah is slack still an electron oh yeah it is yeah it is it sure is i would certainly rather use slack's ipad app than uh use slack on i have i have a lot i mean i wrote a Macworld column about it where i came up with like 10 different apps that Mm -hmm. i love on my iphone and my ipad that i would really like to have on my mac that i sit in front of all day oh yeah 
threes. There are so there are so many. There are so many. There are a bunch of, like the Major League Baseball app and that my my uh, cable company's app that lets me watch live TV. Instead, I am in a really weird flash based mm-hmm. window, and so I can't do picture in picture or anything like that. Oh, so yeah. like, I, I would love that. So yeah, Netflix. So, you're right. Yeah. It's not it's not necessarily the Mac we think of today, mm-hmm. but it does make the Mac potentially. Uh, you know, a much bigger target for uh, a more lively um, community of apps, for lack of a better phrase. I think one thing that'll be interesting to watch is the the way these apps take shape. So if you look at the current beta, mm-hmm. of the four apps Apple brought over, a couple of them are pretty decent. Like the Home app in particular really feels like an iPad app. Like it has like the date picker from iOS and the alerts from iOS. It really feels like it's not done. Right. And fine. it may not be. It's, it's beta. a beta, whatever. Yeah. But I do think that when the ships in 2019, so we start seeing apps 2019, 2020, I think the developers who take the time to tune their apps to really feel native on the Mac, you know, you, you go the little bit of extra work besides just making it run. I think those apps will feel better to Mac users. You know, I think there's something to be said for people who think, you know, AppKit's dying. I agree with you, Marco. I don't think that's the case. But I do think that how Mac apps look and feel today may be more iOS-like, especially if developers don't do that extra work. You know, if, if a bunch of apps come in that just feel like iPad apps, that's kind of what Mac apps feel like now because that'll be the overwhelming number. And that's going to be, I think, interesting to watch for those of us who've been on the platform for a long time mm. of what of these things feel kind of right on the Mac and is that very definition going to change? Right, and one way Apple can do this, and I'm not saying they will, but one way Apple can do this is by sort of leading the platform to a place where we redefine a little bit what a Mac app looks like. Totally. And they do that all the time, changing the styles. And if if there's an influx of these kinds of apps, part of that process may be also sort of encouraging a, a style that these apps look like, but that also other Mac apps can look like. And that becomes what Mac apps look like. And it's a little bit more like yeah. iOS. And that doesn't necessarily mean the Mac is going away it just means that th- that may be the new the new look because as you know Stephen, mac os 10 10.0 yeah does not look at we all like, like mojave sidebar <laughs> panels that slid out mm-hmm. and all sorts of crazy stuff yeah totally it, aqua has changed or what's left of aqua has changed over time and i'm, I'm just curious if that's going to happen again or if it's going to meet in the middle somewhere uh either way though like marco as someone who spends their day on a mac doing my job I'm looking forward to having those apps available to me everywhere because I think it's um, I think it's prudent on Apple's part if you have one ecosystem that has sort of been the same for a long time, you have this other one that's way bigger and growing. Why not take the strengths of those bigger ones and apply them to the smaller? Well, it feels to me like they're saying, um, in the end, there's going to be a target for Apple. Not for iOS, but for Apple, for Apple's platforms. And you can write an app and deploy it across Apple's platforms. And if you want to write a Mac just or an app just for the Mac, you can do that too. Sure. But I think that's good. I think that's good for Mac users to have that. Yeah, I, my guess is there will be apps that are st- even after this is out there for a long time. I'm sure there will still be apps that will be Mac only for one reason or another. Sure. They're not getting rid of that to your point, but they're just adding to it. Yeah. And I think for for users like. Even we can look and say, like, you know, the ideal Mac app should still be AppKit. And, yeah, that's probably right. But all of us, I bet, with, I bet like, within six months of this being available to all developers, I bet all of us who are saying these things now 
are running and loving at least one of these UI kit apps on our Macs. Like, totally. there's so much utility waiting to be had there. There's so much, you know, I mentioned earlier, like video apps. Like, you know, obviously I'd port Overcast if it's at all as easy as it says it will be. Um, and even like just basic utilities I have in my phone that I just like better than web or Mac components. Like my weather app, Weatherline. Like, I, I love, like, if I could have that on, on my Mac, that would be great. Like, there's Carried so many. on the Mac? Yeah, like, there's so many, like, little apps like that, that that are just iOS, like, utilities or even games, like you mentioned, Serenity, and, like, it, there's so many, there's so much potential there to make the Mac better and more fun and more useful and to keep it moving forward with new apps. Like, so much of the time, the Mac kind of feels like not only has Apple considered it done, but it also feels like developers kind of consider the Mac done, and it has not been getting a lot of attention in the world of new software and, like, better software efforts. So to have it be easier to write Mac software will benefit all of us, and I really am looking forward to the day when I when I can. Yeah, Carrotweather is an interesting example because they do have a Mac app, but it's like this little mini bar thing. And like I really like Carrotweather in iOS, but the Mac app's not that not that. No, great. it's not. It's not. It doesn't give you the same kind of joy. Right, and uh, and so now I mean, assuming this stuff is easy to do, we could see something like Carrotweather, which is awesome on the iPhone and iPad, even replace the existing Mac app, mm-hmm. which isn't isn't so hot. It's like stuck in the menu bar and it's pretty basic. And so, yeah, I think that, um, I think you're right, Marco. I bet that there'll be those apps that make it over that we all struggle to remember a time before they were available on the Mac. Yeah. And I think the the other thing to think about is Apple's also kind of planning for the long-term future here, not just in its own performance and what it wants its platform to be, but in recruiting new developers. Because iOS has been the the go the go to platform to build apps for for the young developers. We saw you know so many talented scholarship applications and applicants who are at WWDC this year who are making you know apps in 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 playgrounds right now. Um, but they're making apps that are designed to be run on the iPhone or iPad. They're right. not building. They're not <laughs> building Mac apps. Mac scholarship pools real small. Yeah, well, that's the point, right? And I think that that is something that could very easily be solved here because if you if you show a 15, 16 year old that developing for the Mac is just as fun and easy and intuitive as developing for iOS, and you know, I'm speaking as uh, this on, as somebody who does not develop for either platform. So, Marco, maybe you had have more to say on this this topic, but I just think that the potential for recruiting more younger people to the the mac and then replenishing the mac app store bringing more things in more great ideas i just there's there's huge possibility here i mean a lot of it like it when when we talk about young people um you can make a lot of the same arguments that that were made when swift came out uh where objective c was fine all of us mac developers and ios developers were using it and had mastered it and it's wonderful um but objective c had a lot of legacy cruft because it was so old and and you know we were you know we had built it up over time but it was still you know old and crufty and had a lot of legacy and swift just looks newer and cleaner and is more modern styled and f- and a lot of developers were avoiding writing an objective c which is part of the reason we have things like electron um a lot of developers were avoiding it just because it it looked old mm. right and and it was a little bit older to work with appkit i think is the same way where and you know when Swift came out, everyone's like, "Oh, great!" You know, even though we didn't necessarily need a new language, this will help attract new developers, younger developers, more developers, right? So I think this is the same thing with with AppKit versus UIKit. AppKit is older and cruftier and a little harder to use than UIKit in a lot of ways. And so, even though yes, you can make Mac apps with UI with AppKit. It is harder, and it is cruftier, and it is older, and a lot more people will now make them because it'll be based on newer, cleaner, easier frameworks. 
and especially among younger people. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Mac App Store, and obviously these apps will go to the Mac App Store. Um, the Mac App Store app, by the way, not one of these apps that was based on, an, on the iOS version, but the look of it is quite similar to some of these other apps, which I think speaks to Apple thinking this is how new apps might look on the Mac. Sure. And uh, it is native. It's not a web view. It's not a web God. view, it is, and it is not a, 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 a UI kit app, but it looks like them, which is, yeah, it's just interesting that this may be a direction they're at least experimenting with. And, of course, there's more content in the Mac App Store. They're going to be doing the editorial content. We've also seen this week changes to Apple's attitude toward the Mac App Store, that they seem to have made an effort to allow apps to ask for more permission and um, and as a result, we have developers who backed out of the Mac App Store and were just like, we got to get out of here, like panic and bare bones, um, coming back in, which is another, it's like these are all pieces of a larger puzzle for yes. Apple. But um, is, this, uh, is this Phil Schiller's return? Obviously, he took over the App Store and made a lot of changes on the iOS side. Kind of feels like this is the other shoe dropping there where they, now it's time to... to refresh the Mac App Store Absolutely. All I mean, I think Apple's priorities have always been kind of like, yes, we care about all of our, our children, but we need to focus on the ones that make us the most money yeah. first, and then we can focus <laughs> that, on the ones that, that, that are... That metaphor got weird all of a yeah, sudden. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the most right. profitable child yeah, goes first. Yeah, the most first. profitable <laughs> child. The child with the most... No. Uh, it, but, it, but it's true, right? Like, the iOS App Store needed a revision. It needed some juice put into it it was 10 you know almost 10 years old by the time that the new app store rolled around uh and i think they learned a lot from there like phil i think since schiller took over the organization i think there's been a lot of moving pieces and a lot of things putting like just building on top of each other they worked out a lot of the kinks with the ios app store and now they have a chance to bring over all the things that worked well and ditch the things that maybe didn't so much Hmm. for the mac app store and it's really interesting you know by and large it's a very similar app store experience to iOS, but I did notice a, an interesting and probably smart change to the featured tab, uh, right? Where it's not a daily not, story yes. tab. Um, yes. And I think it there's goes... a whole team of editors in Cupertino who are like, "Oh, thank goodness it's not today." Yeah, well, I mean, they don't just... have enough Mac apps. <laughs> yeah, you run out of stuff, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, they've got to do this now because, to your point, Jason, these cross-platform apps, uh, which I think Apple will give a cool name to at some point, but until yes, then, not sneak peek or yeah. Marzipan yeah. sneak peek apps. <laughs> They um they're gonna be there, and to drop all those apps into the existing Mac App Store would be like super sadness for everybody. Mm-hmm. So they've got to get the Mac App Store back in shape. They've got to make it appeal to developers who left it. And I mean, it really feels like this version of Mac OS is just like more so than one I can remember in a long time. Really like driving forward in a bunch of different ways and like so we got to the app store because these apps are coming next year there's some testing of that stuff now and i could you know i i don't think they're ever i don't think they would close off non-mac store non-app store apps on the mac for a long time but uh you could see also an alternative timeline where this is successful and they can bring everybody back in Maybe that's a thing. Well, and, and they did announce that they're doing some modifications to the, the to apps that are outside yeah. where the gatekeeper right. stuff, they're going to have this new thing where you upload your app and it gets notarized by an yeah. Apple server that actually does like a malware scan. And there's some potential have you seen issues those stamps there. they use to notarize things? How does a server... I know, and they, they staple it. You actually, they call it stapling when you attach one to the other. So you, you go out and buy some staples, I guess. Of, a lot of metaphors the I don't understand. The ones and the zeros go and intertwine together yeah. and form hmm. 
hook and loop. Basically. Well, it takes apparently like an hour, so maybe they're actually printing out your app, bringing it to a notary, <laughs> having them stamp it, scanning <laughs> it back it. in, and getting it back. You to heard it here first on it, download. It yeah. could be we learned our lesson there. But so they're obviously they're trying to figure out what are the different right. roles on the Mac. Mm-hmm. But it, it's interesting because it seems like their attitude is how do we make apps accepting that Mac apps are going to exist outside the Mac App Store? How do we make them more secure? Right. Which is nice because. The other alternative would be to say we don't care because yeah, they're yeah. not going to exist and, anymore. And I don't, I don't, I think if they ever closed off non-apps or apps on the Mac, it would be a big mistake. Um, but you're right from like a consumer standpoint. I would like to know that hey, all these protections I get in the App Store, whether the App Store is good or bad, take that off the table. But I know these apps are safe in a bunch of these ways. If I download a utility from some guy's website. I would like to know that it has at least most of those protections in place as well. And right now you don't always know that. And you can run into weird stuff on the Mac. I just dealt with this huge like malware, like adware infestation on a family member's iMac last week. You know, they downloaded some media player that wasn't really, you know, it was a mess. Mm-hmm. And Apple needs to address that sort of stuff. And maybe this is a step toward that. As long as it's in a way that doesn't hamper what pros need to do, then um, I think it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the sandboxing team when like when sandboxing was introduced, sandboxing wasn't to harness Mac apps, right? It wasn't to say, oh, we don't want you doing things on your Mac anymore. You can only, you know, tap things on your your keyboard and and no terminal for you and all this stuff. I I really think that, and maybe I'm naive for saying this, but I really think that the security team does have the user's best interest at heart, and they want to make the Mac a safe place for all apps, including the apps that do kind of the crazy stuff. And I appreciate that they've continued develop, to, de- to develop Gatekeeper. I'm not – are they even calling it Gatekeeper anymore? Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah, okay. there's a There's a pretty sweet logo of like a castle with a gate. Oh, yeah. It's, it's basically the, window, the Windows Defender logo. <laughs> it's like they're very similar. Yeah, but I'm like – I'm glad that that exists because um, it really – you know, it's like what you said, Jason. They really could have just been like, nope, sorry, we're not, we're not going to do that. Um, but instead they're like, okay, we understand that the sandboxing process and all of that isn't perfect, that we still need to add more APIs for people who want to do slightly crazier things. And in the meantime, here is this process to make sure that the apps that you run are still safe and not going to damage somebody's computer. And including panic and bare bones, that was them sending a message that the, the game is changing because like literally why would they come back to the Mac app store? The message is clear. Like we have changed the rules Mm -hmm. and allowed them to come back in and those rules, you know, we don't know a lot of the details. They're probably going to be evolving over time. We'll get some this year. There probably won't be more next year. But it was enough to get Panic, yeah. for example, to say we can bring Transmit back in. Yeah. Where they, 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 the, the backstory there is they had a version that was in the Mac App Store, but it like didn't do a bunch of stuff because a bunch of stuff that the app does wasn't allowed. And they, and they said, you know what, we can't develop two versions of our app. And according to Cable Sasser at Panic, the new transmit on the Mac App Store will do exactly what the one that doesn't exist on the Mac App Store does. And they that is a huge step forward. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate, you know, that Apple was able to solve this problem because, you know, in the App Store review guidelines forever, it said that, you know, you can't access root or anything like that. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad they're figuring out a way to make it work with sandboxing and that they're doing it for all apps, not just, you know, it's not special treatment for these two. It's everybody. All right. We are uh, going to talk about some other stuff in a little bit. But first, I want to tell you about our other sponsor in this week's episode of Download from WWDC. It's Microsoft. 
Yes, you heard me, Microsoft. Microsoft believes any developer should be able to build, deploy, and scale their apps without having to worry about managing services or underlying infrastructure, whether you're an Objective-C or Swift developer, Azure has what you need to ship your apps faster and with more confidence. There's all kinds of cool stuff you can do with Azure, like build in the cloud, test on real devices, automatically distribute to beta testers in the App Store, and monitor your apps with real-time crash reports and analytics. You can even add pre-built AI services into your apps and make them more intelligent. And if you're a game developer, you can get a complete back-end platform for iOS games with real-time analytics, player management, live ops, and a whole lot more. Here's what you need to do. Get ready. There's going to be a URL here. They've set up a page where you can learn all about building intelligent iOS apps that scale. It is this address. aka.ms slash iOS and Azure. That's not an ampersand. Don't use an ampersand. You'll break everything. AKA.ms slash iOS and Azure. Microsoft has been in San Jose this entire week supporting iOS developers. They were supporting AltConf. They sponsored ATP Live and John Gruber's The Talk Show Live. Marco is sitting across the table from me smiling because he read this ad earlier this week. Sure did. And I was remembering that as I was reading it. But anyway, that is the sign of the level of support that Microsoft has provided to Mac developers and iOS developers and all of the good people of the Apple platforms that are here. Uh, maybe, you know, tvOS, who knows? All the great developers. All the great platforms. Thank you to Microsoft for supporting this show, Relay FM in general, and everybody here at WWDC. Now, speaking of Microsoft, I want to tell you about the story that you might have missed. Something that may have flown under your radar if you were just to- totally overwhelmed with WWDC. You may not have noticed GitHub... Got bought this week. By who? Um, a An obscure software company from the Pacific Northwest, sort of a scrappy underdog. Mm. They they were, you know, you may have heard of them. My, oh, it's Microsoft again. Oh. Well, anyway, Microsoft looked in its, ca- in its uh, couch cushions and found $7.5 billion and bought GitHub. Um, so if it's that's kind of, I feel like we've come a long way, it's Microsoft. A pretty big couch. It's boy, you, yeah. You should, you should see the end table. Anyway, I don't know what that means. Uh, Metaphor but, problems. Today. Uh, Microsoft has come a long way, and uh, that. Speaking of Microsoft supporting developers, like Microsoft is actually the biggest user of GitHub, and then they're like, hmm, "Nice place you got here. Maybe yeah. we'll buy it." I don't have much skin in this game, and we use GitHub some at Relay, but you know, it's not like we have a giant team or anything using it to manage a bunch of code. But I, I really can't think of a better home for it if it's going to be bought by one of the big tech companies. You know, I think I think it's going to be in good hands at Microsoft, and uh, I don't think there's any reason for people to panic. I mean, can you imagine this conversation if Google had purchased them or Amazon? There'd be all these weird conversations about privacy or if it's too big. But Microsoft has slowly changed from this company that was, you know, made Windows and Excel and stuff, and they have just layered on so many of these professional development tools on top that people really seem to care about and to like using and uh, i think it's i think it's going to be good now, mark are you use github for your stuff i do yeah i use it for um, hosting all my private repositories i have a few public repositories but they're pretty low activity but you know like there's a lot of value in github for companies and you know development shops and everything because there's all this collaboration features built in and i think that's that's ultimately what value they have it's it's not the hosting business the hosting business funds it all but the real value that they have is that they are the community site yeah. for like open source projects, you know, uh, having like public submissions for you know, patches and the pull request system and everything else. Like, you anybody can host 
Git repositories on any server. But to have that massive community and all those community features built in, um, that's I think where that where the value here is. And you know, look, Microsoft is trying to be a company that you know they, they they're moving away from their older models that they had in the '90s, where they were selling you these you know, this software, and a lot more of their current company and their current focus is business stuff and developer stuff and server stuff and. They they want to, they want to have developers on board with them. They want to have collaboration tools that companies use. That's why they bought Skype. That's probably why there were rumors a couple of years ago they were going to buy Slack. And I still wouldn't rule that out um, because like they well they kind they kind of made their own thing, but like they they want all those like business collaboration tools. And GitHub is one of those. It's one of the biggest because that's where developers of all kinds collaborate on the code. So it makes total sense to me, and I, I don't have any negative thoughts on it really. All right, we have one more topic before we go. Um, this week, Amazon and Sonos both showed off new hardware, sort of in the home theater category. Amazon announced the Fire TV Cube. No, no like, technology product the shape like a cube has ever taken off. No, it's uh, it's a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah. It's a hundred and twenty dollar device. It pairs the Amazon Voice Assistant with the Fire TV. Throws in a little universal remote functionality. All four sides of the box have IR blasters. Yes, it's twenty eighteen, oh, no. and infrared blasters are still a thing that let you communicate from the box to anything you've got that they also have a remote control signal a wired remote ira blaster so if the cube is out next to your tv so you can see it sure you can you can run the little baby cube in the cabinet for yeah, i have else. a whole i have a whole ir blaster relay system oh, of my man. own in my oh, living Lordy. room it's like too. a rube goldberg machine yeah Wait, you can is, hide things is the ir blaster also a little cube it is that's awesome it's, it's, it's very much all the way down it, yeah <laughs> you should see the box it comes in oh yeah it's round strange um also, I could say that this uh, thing can also control your devices via HDMI CEC, which is a standard that totally always works. Yeah, <laughs> definitely does. Uh, control set-top boxes to varying degrees of, of detail. Um, interesting. So also Sonos announced uh, the replacement or, I guess, supplement to their old sound bar. It's a new sound bar called the Beam that's three ninety nine. works over HDMI or optical Bundles in Alexa again, of course. Support for AirPlay 2, which did not come to the original Play Bar. Um, so that's an interesting product, too. Um, I'm thinking of getting a new TV and realizing that I have to start making decisions about this stuff. This is the state of the art. Anything interesting in these announcements? Serendi, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I'm excited that Sonos is officially supporting AirPlay 2. Like that's, And they actually have a time deadline on it, even if that time deadline is by the end of this year. Uh, Everybody's I'm, doing it. Yeah, I know. Well get in, yeah, get on board. exactly. Uh, the Fire TV Cube uh, terrifies me. I feel like that's something out of Brazil. Uh, but the the Beam is an interesting thing. I mean, I have an original Sonos soundbar, and uh, I was really kind of crushed when I heard that it wasn't going to get AirPlay too because it's still a pretty good piece of kit. Um, but that's not a terrible thing because it's also hooked up to my Apple TV, right? And I think I don't know too much about the Beam, but I heard something where there's something to do with dongles. Do you know what that that's about, Jason or or Steve? Steven yeah. seems to know. Yeah. I'm, on, I'm on the dongle, the dongle train. The mayor of Dongletown is here to tell <laughs> so us. You can, uh, so the input on this thing, and one thing that makes this different is it has, has an HDMI input to run out of your TV. But so they optical. understand a lot of people have optical. And so they have in the box, which is a, uh, a novel idea for a tech company, put the dongle in the box, Ooh. not charge more. You can do that. It's crazy. Yeah, well, my iPhone 7 taught me that. Yeah, oh, yeah forget about that thing. Uh, so you can uh, so you can use optical audio and then just convert right at the the back of the the beam. So it's it's flexible. You know, I think Sonos has taken heat over the years and probably rightfully so for being really limiting on input options. And 
mean, you can't hook up anything to this, but it is more flexible than some of their other things. Soundbar. So you've got a soundbar. I have a I have a five point one system and have for quite a while. So I've got five, I've got speakers in my ceiling and I've up got, the wazoo. I got their speakers. You sit down. You might sit on a speaker. Um, so do you like like the soundbar idea? Because I, I I have a hard time believing that it's actually like work it, that it works. I mean, the soundbar was great when I lived in a studio in Boston and I didn't have a whole lot of room to fill. Uh, and then when I moved into our house, uh, it became, you know, still nice, but slightly less uh. effective. So pairing it with a couple of play fives helped a lot. Uh, so now I guess is that a three point sound system, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like that certainly helps, but I don't think it's a all in one replacement. Like this is really and especially I think there's a price drop because I seem to remember my original sound bar was four ninety nine or something. Yeah, like it's, that. it's basically a lower amount of they're continuing to sell yeah. play base. And this is going to the play base. They're saying it has like more speakers, so it's better for like slightly bigger rooms. Mm. And the new one is what's it called again? I forgot. The, the beam. The, the beam. beam. Yeah, yeah. The beam is for like smaller spaces and just you know smaller needs and smaller rooms. Yeah, and I I don't know. I like here's the where I'm kind of back and forth on is I'm like, well, I could buy the Sonos beam or I could pay an extra hundred and fifty bucks and get two HomePods, and the HomePods would not only hook up to AirPlay two but also do some other things. So I'm like, if I want to pay for just one, you know, speaker area, would I rather do this one or would I rather go with a company that's their their sound coverage is pretty good. Like I love Sonos, but I'm I'm leaning more towards the HomePod in this capacity. Well, yeah, but if you're if you're doing something other than watching video on an Apple TV, you're not going to be able to listen to audio with. That's the thing. Like if you have a video yeah. game system or oh, a Blu-ray true. player or yeah. any other set-top box. Yeah, that's a good point. If VHS comes back in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Could be. You never know. Wait, you're talking you about know. something like there's something other than the Apple TV that exists. <laughs> I mean, in our in our house. The Apple TV is TV. Yeah. Um, but there's also Xbox. Like, there's yeah, so much VR more stuff. systems. Sure. And, yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Sonos continues down this path of we want to work with everybody. So it has the the Amazon voice assistant who shall not be named. I said and it earlier. Jason named I it. Apologize. I apologize. Mean, Jason set up. stuff off. And uh, and is doing AirPlay too. Like, Sonos wants to be com- as compatible as possible with everybody. And I think that's admirable. But at the same time... We talk about this on computing, right? That if you go up against the platform vendor, you may have a bad time. And I, I still, I still just worry about Sonos. I want them to do well. I think their products are nice, but at some point, uh, what happens if they can't use AirPlay three, or something happens with the Echo Voice Assistant and they can't, use, you know, like mm-hmm. then what? And then they're just really nice speakers with that may, with maybe a less compelling story. I was worried about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. We made fun of the the Amazon Fire TV queue, but I will say this: I read these stories. I think Neil Patel has written a couple of stories on The Verge about these like super high end universal remote thingies that have their own interface, and they like use like computer vision to see what's on the screen in order to navigate yeah. your things and all that. And I look at this, and it's like it's Amazon's so realistic with this product, which is like, look. IR Blaster, HDMI CEC, like we're going to, I bet you this thing works, right? I bet it works. My only feeling about it is I'm starting to feel like we're getting very close to the point where every smart TV is going to have a Roku in it. Mm -hmm. And the Roku stuff's pretty good. And 
I I think I've come around. I, and you guys might have talked about this on ATP. I think I'm coming around to the idea that Apple might want to make deals with TV manufacturers to put Apple TV in the TV sets, like yeah. CarPlay. Yeah, for TV, like be, as an embedded operating system, because mm-hmm. um, once the embedded operating system gets good enough. It's going to be hard to sell an add-on box like this. If you've got, if I buy that new TCL Roku TV, yeah, um, it, the only reason I would keep keep an Apple TV hooked up to it would be because I bought a lot of movies on iTunes at one point. Mm-hmm. That would be the basically the only reason because the Roku stuff is good enough. It's it's actually not not crappy. It, it's it's pretty good. See, I, I actually still believe in the value of the external boxes because you buy a TV like every ten years, you know, and, and you buy an external box. You can buy those as often as there is a compelling new one to buy. Like cars, you can't upgrade the right, car stuff. Exactly, and like yeah. you know, there's like you know, TVs are such these big, long-standing purchases that, and but like the the media landscape changes all the time, and the software landscape changes all the time. So right now, you know, there there are you know boxes and, t- and things out there that have like remotes that have like hardware buttons on the remotes <laughs> for services that don't exist anymore. Yes, yeah. right, like, and it's, and it's it, it ages very poorly. If you were the product manager and you were in charge of that, like you have one of those. TVs TVs in your house, and every time you see that button, it's like a little, it's a little heartbreak all over again. Oh, you exactly. just you got to buy a sticker and cover. You see a little gaff yeah. tape. <laughs> I do think though, like we're we're at the point now where there there is this kind of such an embarrassment of riches that other factors start to become more important. Things like simplicity, uh, reliability, Number privacy, privacy areas. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so like, like for me, I I worry about Sonos for different reasons. Like I worry about Sonos because when I look at Sonos, I like. I have a few Sonos products, and I hardly ever use them because it's so complicated. Because yeah. they are these things that can do everything, but as a result, it's like the Homer car. Like it's like like what, it's what you'd expect from a product that can do everything for every ecosystem. It's really complicated to actually use, and there's all these you know it's, you know to make another reference. It's like the XKCD. Like now we have ten standards comic. Like you have this unifying thing allegedly that sits on top of all these services, then adds its own level of complexity on top of them. And I find it just very cumbersome to use. Ultimately, I think maybe a more, uh, a more interesting way to go in the future, what if Apple does something like the Playbase, where what if there's a HomePod that has an HDMI input and is its own little soundbar option? Apple then never and also, adds ports to... I know, except, and, except for that one FireWire port. And as an Apple TV. TV, yeah. Right, and so it. there you go, right? And so if there... Like, you know, right now... The HomePod can't be your TV speakers if you have any any, any other inputs, as we mentioned, because it you can't connect like your video game system or your Blu-ray or whatever to it. But what if there was another version of it that was the wire that was like the base soundbar thing, and maybe you could add the two HomePods to the sides like you can mm-hmm. with the Sonos soundbars? Then you have a you know low latency universal sound input thing that's all Apple powered, and they they are clearly wanting to compete with Sonos right now with the HomePod. If they really want to go all the way, that's how to do it. So that could be interesting. I don't know if it would ever happen, but I would be certainly interested in that. Yeah, I mean, definitely feeling feeling like the ground rules of the TV world keep shifting a little bit. Like, what's the standard, and then what's the opportunity there? And uh, uh, Gene Munster, you know, he's out there somewhere saying Apple should just get back. Yes, Apple TV. Apple in a TV. We'll Honestly, do it. I'd probably buy it. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we depend. <laughs> would it have any inputs? Yeah. <laughs> um, before we go... Uh, we like to end the show on an up note with something called the Fuzzy Puppy Update. And one of our listeners, Lister Mark, sent in what appears to be a fantastic 
fuzzy puppy update. So let me tell you about it. Last year, Australian TV viewers were first introduced to Pippa. Pippa is a nine-year-old terrier who liked to chase and bark. Now, this is in Darwin in northern Australia where it's very tropical. Chase and bark at a crocodile that would come up the riverbank toward her yard. People love underdog stories. This is literally one of those. It's a little terrier barking at a very large crocodile and the crocodile hated being barked at and chased by this yippy dog and it would just retreat back down into the river well this week the crocodile had enough chomp pippa and drove and uh dragged her into the river and there's a video you can watch on facebook of it lister mark what did you do to us this is not a good fuzzy puppy update. No. Happy WWDC week, everybody. Marco Arment, where can people find the stuff that you do? That was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. It's a twist. It's a twist ending. Wow. That's a, yeah, that's a terrible ending. Yeah. That's dark. You can yeah, find my stuff anywhere else besides right here. <laughs> <laughs> ATP.FM. That's the one. Serenity, where can people find the stuff they that you do? They can find me on Twitter at Saturn. They can find me on Relay and Query with Stephen Hackett, who's hey. sitting across from me, um, and a bunch of other places. Wait, did you say they videotaped it? Yeah, there's video of Like the of dog it. owner? No, the dog owner says that they haven't watched it yet <laughs> because they can't bear to watch it yet. And it's like, yet? yet? You mean you're going to get okay with that at some point? Why was room? somebody videotaping it? It's this? Australia, man. Yeah. I don't understand. Everything's dangerous there. This up. may be nothing. I don't know. Anyway, he says he's going to get another dog, but he's not going to let that dog chase crocodiles. Build a fence, man. Yeah. Build a yeah. fence. I, I, I don't know. I'm just telling <laughs> yeah. you. It's Why are you a, living near a crocodile a anyway? Yeah, right. Steven, um, nighty night. <laughs> Sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Or crocodiles. Oh, my. Oh, no. Uh, anyway, that's it for now. <laughs> don't go to Australia. For the download podcast. Steven, you okay? Uh, what has happened to the show? <laughs> uh, anyway, we will uh, try to keep our eyes open long enough to watch the headlines so you don't have to. Until next week, I've been your host, Jason Snell. Watch out for crocodiles. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.